This is an American Crimecast production. Visit us at our new home at accproductions.org. And remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. You're listening to Mysterious Circumstances, hosted by my dad. Alright everybody, welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast, and I am joined by horror and paranormal author, Mr. Kevin Eads. How are we doing today, Kevin? I'm doing alright. How are you, man? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad at all, and finally getting you, getting you on here and all that good stuff. I appreciate stuff, it. So. Little did you know you have a family member half as weird as you. Oh, I know, right? You're... Pretty much the only one. So, and for those of you who, who don't know, Kevin is uh, Kevin is my cousin and written several several books and over twenty over twenty. Yep, and uh, currently working uh, on getting a movie made. Which yes. Um, but before we start getting into that, uh, you did not start off being a horror and paranormal author, I suppose. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little about yourself, Kevin? Well, it was a process to get here. I guess the interest was always there, but I, uh, I went to uh, college and law school. I was a college instructor for many years and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. But there was always that part of me that enjoyed writing. Uh, you'll laugh at this. Back in high school, in my early college years, I was in a rap group, so that got me started with the writing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I know the good stuff came around, like Nirvana, you know, oh, yeah. came around later, so... Rap started to suck and, and other stuff took out. But it was, uh, I always grew up with a love of horror. I grew up on a farm outside of the village of Indiana. And when you grow up on a farm, as, as you know, your imagination can run wild. Oh, yeah. So every, every little shadow you see is a ghost. Every little thing you see is a ghost or a UFO or you like the sky. So you let your imagination run wild. I, uh, I have been writing for a while and collecting some stuff. And, uh, back home, I, I met a, Person, uh, actually a former student of mine who had started, started a publishing company, which has become quite large since then. And uh, we talked, and he uh, wanted to publish me, and I put my first book out, which, by the way, is a piece of crap. You know, every time you start out, your first book is not going to be that great. Uh, you improve as time goes along. <laughs> and uh, they just continued to publish me, and I became a bigger and bigger name, and uh, yeah, I put some I put some good stuff out recently. So uh, all in the, uh, a lot of fiction. The majority of my work is fiction, but I've done some nonfiction work as well, um, such as the Erie American Book Series, which we started in Paranormal Roadshow, mm-hmm. which I'm actually it's a co-authorship, and I'm up for an award on that right now, um, which has been kind of cool. Yeah, we've all been trying to vote every day to try to get you up there. It's a pretty tight race right now. Cool. Well, up voting through December 18th to vote every day. Just remember, uh, it's international. I'm going against some of the best in the world. The uh, organization itself, I, I remember, I think it's out of the Netherlands or Belgium or somewhere, which is kind of cool. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I'm not just getting recognized here in my own backyard. I'm like you. I'm bigger around the rest of the world, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, I'm bigger in Australia than I am in America, which I'm okay with because, you know, hey. If I remember good. right, John Mellencamp took off in Australia before he took off in America. So, Well, it must be an Indiana thing then, I guess. <laughs> what was the final straw for you to finally get your ass in gear, I suppose you could say, and start like writing? And and how how did you come about doing that first that very first book? Well the very first book, strangely enough, was a collection of screenplays I'd written and sat on forever. I got it. I got that idea from. Um, I spent a lot of time at comic book shops. Yeah, everybody can laugh, but it's okay. Um, it was also a rapper, so it's it's, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> and I had ordered a book, which I was I thought was supposed to be a comic book from them. It turned out to be a collection of screenplays from old uh, cult nightstalkers, screenplays that were uh, for shows that weren't released. And it's like, hey, you can do this. This is a, this is a cool idea. So I kind of sat on these screenplays forever, and, and we got those published. And basically, since the reception was good from the publisher and everyone else, we continued to do that for my other first couple of books. And I had been writing like crazy for years because I'm okay for everybody out there. I have an active mind. I'm one of those minds that I cannot sleep. So every night before I try to fall asleep, I run an idea for a story over and over again in my head for you know for days before I write it down. I just continued to write and write, and every time I submitted something to the publisher, he, he liked it, so they just put a lot of stuff out. And within the first couple of years, I had 10 books out. That's another thing I noticed about you. Once you get on those writing benches, you, you're you pretty adamant. You don't stop. <laughs> no, well, you, I've got, as I say, I've had ideas that are running in my head forever. And, I mean, right now I'm working on a vampire collection, and I just have some really good ideas as a follow-up to uh, this year's True Legends, which has been uh, considered by many uh, one of my two best books, two fiction uh, best books. So I just continue uh, with the idea. I mean, if, if I'm going to write a trilogy, I'm going to write a trilogy. I don't care. When, I, when I've got something in my head, it's going to get out there, uh, for better or worse, because I've got some pretty messed up stories, too. You know, a lot of them are great, and some of them are like, dude... <laughs> Where do you come up with such stuff? It's like, well, you got to get it out, man. Absolutely, you know. It's not. I'm not gonna. Don't get the wrong idea. It's not voices in my head. I'm not completely insane, but it kind of is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to explain. It's not the the crazy voices we have, but it's the others. Like, hey, there's a story here. Let's develop it. Let's keep it out there. Too. So, what was your first reaction to some of your feedback on your first book? Was it? Uh, was it good, bad, and how did it affect you uh, as a writer? Well, most of it was good. It was, it was basically, hey, there's there's a few mistakes that the uh, publisher missed. And, you know, that bothered me because the initial, when you're working with a small publisher and, you know, there's going to be some initial kinks you got to work through. Kind of like, you know, when someone has a new software program, there's some initial kinks that have to be worked out. But the overall reception was good. Everyone loved the ideas. These stories were original concepts and original ideas that were uh, were pretty well received. It was a couple books in my, I think, second year of writing that got some of the negative feedback. And, and you know how that is. Anytime you get negative feedback, it, it, it hits you hard. And I understood what they were talking about, but still it was... Not all my mistakes. Some of it was the mistake of the publisher, some of the printer. Because then you've got, it's hard to explain. Again, when you're with a smaller press, 
there's many times that the printer itself makes mistakes that are not always caught in the proof copy, and it's like, ah, oh, crap. But all those kinks have been worked out in later years, and, and all my new stuff has been getting great reception. Uh, because they're like, hey, you're growing as a writer, you're growing as an artist, um, you finally found your voice. Like anyone else, I'm sure Stephen King will look at his first stuff and be like, oh my gosh, what the hell was I thinking? But you, you, you work out the bugs, you work out the kinks, and then you, you find your voice. Yeah. I mean, you too. I mean, I, I want to see you put something out because you got a lot of great ideas from your show and a lot of great cases you cover. So, you know. Me and you have talked about that pretty, pretty extensively. And yeah, that's, uh, that will be coming once I get past about, what is it? Probably about the 18th or 19th of November. Uh, me and Shane are actually going to start getting that manuscript going. And he's. It takes time and, you know, I get it. <laughs> it does. And I. You know, I don't feel comfortable enough doing it, you know, myself just because of wording and I've never written anything like that. And, you know, I know Shane has and he has, you know, knowledge of that kind of stuff, too. And the case that we're going to do is uh, the death of uh, Thelma Todd, the actress. There's just so much involved there that I think it would make a really, really good book. I don't. I, I think there might be like one or two out there, but I think we're going to try to dive a little bit deeper and, you know, right. put the story of her out there a little bit more because, you know, she had a pretty interesting life and stuff. So what kind of nonfiction have you touched on? Um, and obviously you brought up, you know, some your road trip, paranormal road trip and... The, the majority has been macabre tourism. The idea, uh, it started with Erie America, which yep. was released by Schiffer Publishing out of Pennsylvania. And Erie America is kind of like Eric and I got together. It's like, what if the Adams family took a family vacation together? Where would they go? So the concept between Erie America was let's find not just attractions, but hotels where people could stay, restaurants where people could eat, and places where they could shop that would be very unusual. Some of it was haunted, some would be places that are haunted, like, you know, the uh, murder house out in Iowa. But other stuff would be like uh, the space alien uh, barn and grill, or what was the one in uh, Little Alien, where they can stay out in Nevada. And the clown motel, because I got this big clown fetish, uh, which is another story for another day, but ladies, if you're in the clown, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, yeah, you gotta be a little weird to be in this racket. The uh <laughs> And that's and that's why you love uh the magic wand so much, right? The rest of Oh yes, oh yes. I have written a movie where I had a, a scene that was gonna be set there, but we never we never got that to materialize. But regardless, we actually pitched uh the show. We we filmed a couple sizzle rolls. The first one we filmed in Salem, Massachusetts, and also at Lizzie Borden, which was amazing. The second, we had filmed in both St. Augustine's and New Orleans. And unfortunately, there were some bad contracts we were tied into and some work that the director did that didn't work out. So we're hoping to revisit that at a later time and we can get other things resolved. And then that brought us to Paranormal Roadship. Okay, rather than just the whole idea as we did it with anything unusually themed or creepy or weird, uh, you know, you've got... Uh, restaurants out there that just have completely unusual things like Jekyll and Hyde out in New York. Well, let's, we were going to stick it strictly to the paranormal crowds, uh, paranormal ownership, which would just be places that can go around the country that are going to be uh, more per se on it. But I liked the Erie America 
the best because it was so broad in general. I mean, if you're out on a trip, you want to do something kind of cool. I think, I think the idea is this. Okay, Justin, there are so many people that their vacations to me are boring. They're like, hey, man, let's, let's take a cruise and, and go to Jamaica. And they take the cruise, which is all-inclusive and boring. They never leave the ship. Or if they do, they go to Jamaica. They never leave the resort. They never see what's out there. Even here in America, they don't leave their hotel or they just go to Disney and that's it. Well, I'm, we were writing for those who had a more unusual mind like us to really want to see some cool stuff. You know, if you're going to go to a nightclub, you can go to the same boring one at the resort or you can go to the, uh, vampire bar down the road. And I'll tell you this, if you go to a vampire bar or a Bloody Mary. Okay. <laughs> it took you a second. <laughs> you know, let's talk about your movie endeavors. I, and I know you, you had just uh, previously mentioned, you know, a couple, you know, have gotten, you know, not so much the acts, but just the... Uh, development of health. Yeah, yeah. A couple of them have not, like, fully materialized and developed. And um, as a person who is currently working on getting one of their one of your books through the motion picture process tell me how you know not really that affected you but just that's got to be frustrating i guess you could say it it is okay the thing with the television show for, since i look back every part moved to the movie the concept is really cool and original the problem is you have a lot of the higher execs that are very uh narrow-minded the people the people that work under them love the idea that the upper execs don't look outside the box. They think that it's a paranormal show. It's not. The reality is most paranormal television is dead. The shows that are still out there are going to continue to be made because they have their audience, but they don't want to make new paranormal shows. They're looking at something else. Right now they're doing a lot of the Bigfoot types of shows, which are saturating the market and will be gone in a couple of years as well. So they could not see the big picture. So we're just going to, you know, redevelop that as we see. Movies are a little bit different because you're kind of doing the independent route. And with that, it takes the funding. Now I've had a screenplay turn into a movie before. It's waiting to be released. It was called House of Evil. I even wrote a novella based off the screenplay. And the director has makes a bunch of movies, and he's waiting for the release on that. It's direct video, obviously, because uh, horror tends to overall saturate the direct video market. The good thing about horror is it's always profitable. You always see the movies make money. It may not make millions, it may make hundreds of thousands instead, but it's still going to be profitable. Now. If I were in another genre, per se, action, it would be a lot more difficult for, for us. Right now, we are trying to secure the budget as well as the business plan and all of that. We're trying to tweak it and going to investors. And I may have an investor out of New York right now. Uh, we're getting ready to talk to him. He's, he's had interest in working with us before. So it's just getting the numbers you know, in the right order for him. That's the boring part of it. You see, I like... I like the creative part. The the intention right now is we're planning on filming um, in Indiana, actually, Randolph County. We're friends with the owner. He's a great guy. It's a, it's an amazing uh, facility. I don't know if you've been down there before yet, Justin, but if not, you have to go. It's it's an amazing place. I haven't I haven't been there yet, but uh, I am currently once it gets warmer out because you know not all of us are in Florida, Kevin, but. Uh, yeah. Once, once it gets warmer out, I'm actually uh, definitely planning a trip 
trip down there, and I hadn't really known too much about this place before you had brought it up, and then I started researching it, and it's pretty badass. Um, so I guess on a side note, why don't you tell them a little bit uh, about this place? Well, I know a little less about the history than uh, my co-producer because he's he's written a book on it. I'm more looking at the schematics and looking at what it can do for us. It was an old, you know, it's an old uh, infirmary that I guess was uh, both for the sick and for the poor. It used to be if you were so far in debt, I guess they would uh, put you there to work or whatever, which, well, I guess in a way it would be better than being as far in debt as you and I probably are right now. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> It was uh, preserved perfectly, and because a lot of these places have been run down over the years and are falling apart, but it was bought and it's perfectly preserved. The only thing that really doesn't look great is the paint's coming off, but I think that adds to the ambience of the paranormal investigators like to go and rent the place out for the weekend. It's, it's huge. I mean, you go into this place, it is huge and imposing. And for any project, it's perfect. The first part of the place is more, uh, would be perfect for apartments. It's, it's, it's well capped up. It's carpeted. It's, it's very nice. And then you open these doors and you get into the actual infirmary. Now, my movie is called The Dark Asylum. So it's perfect for an asylum as well. You know, asylums are places for the mentally ill. Unfortunately, we have less and less of those places available, and more of the mentally ill are just being free. But we, we really do need <laughs> a few asylums to come back. And when we were, when I went to visit the place, because Dan Allen, the owner, is a personal friend of ours, he helped us when we were filming uh, Erie America down in New Orleans. And he's like, you've got to see my facility. He also owns the the Hartford City Jail, uh, and just we're just in sh- shock and awe. It's like. Eric's like, why don't you write a, a movie that we can film here? And I just went and cracked away and wrote the screenplay in about a day or two because I was like so excited about the idea of working there. But of course, when you're writing a screenplay, you have to go through many drafts. You have to write it over and over again, make the changes. And even when we film, we'll still be making changes the day before we're filming. So Super awesome. I can't wait. Have you ever visited the prison in um, Albion, by the way, the little prison there? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty fucking awesome. It's in, you know, for for the listeners that don't know, like my dad's side of the family is from Albion, Indiana. For such a tiny town, I mean, literally one stoplight. I mean, the courthouse is Amazing. a historical structure, and it is it is so beautiful to you can see it from you know a mile, mile two miles away because it's just massive and it's brick and. It's just so cool. And the inside is, unfortunately, I have seen the inside of it a couple times, but they, uh, they, the inside is just immaculate. It's, it's got character. It does. But, uh, that, that little museum there is pretty badass. It's really cool. We did uh, some ghost hunts back when I was in Fort Wayne with the, uh, Indiana ghost trackers and, it was the only place we ever got any paranormal evidence, which was only uh, EVPs. But regardless, and I didn't care if we did or didn't, just hanging out at the structure at you know, 1 o'clock in the morning was amazing. That is very cool. And speaking of uh, ghost hunts, why don't you tell us about some that you've been on and uh, some of the more exciting and least exciting ones? The least exciting are always going to be 
I hate to say they're going to be cemeteries. Cemeteries are great places to take a girl and make out and stuff like that, but are the, are the play tag with your friends when you're 30. But it's not a good place to do a ghost hunt because the bodies that are there are already dead. The ghost, if you believe in ghosts or spirits or whatever, they're going to be in prisons and hospitals and other places where nursing homes where people die. Um, the most exciting for me was, as you say, the Albion Jail, and the other was Wolf Lake at the old uh, hospital museum. Oh. It reminded me, especially in the basement, reminded me of the basement on uh, the remake of House on Haunted Hill. Now, we didn't get anything there, but still the idea of, of going to this place that was an old hospital around, you know, I think in the 1800s, uh, for a small town and the structure as it was, it was just a beautiful place. The reality was I joined ghost hunting not as much for fighting ghosts, but for getting into these old historic structures at 12 midnight or 1 in the morning and not being arrested for trespassing. So, <laughs> and just getting this, because as a writer, for me, I was always fi- trying to find new ways to be inspired. You know, we would go to these places and, and I would look for a story. I uh, had worked, volunteered one uh, Halloween at the... Uh, what was it, the haunted jail over in uh, Columbia City, yeah. and inspired me to write another screenplay that we're actually trying to develop into a very low-budget movie with somebody else right now. So The haunted jail there in Columbia City, that's a, that's a pretty good one right there. It is, and it's... It's so creepy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in there when yeah. it's not, you know, being used. But oh my gosh, it's just walking around is is creepy enough. My one friend that I went and worked with, she got stuck in one of the jail cells itself during that time by herself, which would have totally freaked me out. I'm gonna be honest, you know, I, I have a high tolerance for stuff, but but working at a haunted house with all the weird those lights and music. In an area that is said to be very haunted by yourself in one of those cells, man, uh, that takes a lot. <laughs> oh, I could freaking imagine. You're going to have brass balls for that. Yeah, that's that's the damn truth about it, too. I don't know what it is about haunted jails and prisons. You know, one of my, I know on my bucket list, personally, would definitely be Alcatraz. I would, I would absolutely love to... You know, some someday explore that with with some technology to where you know hopefully get some feedback. You know, paranormal wise, anyway. Absolutely. Well, you've got the uh, Mansfield one out in Ohio, yeah. which is also supposed to be amazing. And while it's not a, a jail, it's a former hospital, Waverly Hills, down in Louisville. I think what the thing is is you hear the story of you know energy, personal energy. Energy can't be created or destroyed. So you can have a lot of a place like a prison is such a negative place. So all the negative emotions, I think, just start to soak into the building over the years. You know, the misery, the despair, the negative desires, you know, I think it just all gets absorbed into there. I mean, that can happen in a house as simple as that. I grew up in a, when I moved from uh, a villa before I moved into a house that had a lot of, I think, just neg- negative energy absorbed in by miserable couples over the years. And just when people walked in, they had a, a bad feeling, you know, instantly. And I think that plays into it. Same thing with the hospitals, the infirmaries, the asylums. Again, places where a lot of negative energy was flowing. And it, it seems like it stays around in some capacity. Yeah, I definitely agree. After uh, we did a little ghost hunt down at the, you know, Hartford City uh, Demon House. They call it the Monroe Demon House. And you can literally walk into that place and almost almost immediately start feeling sick to your stomach and it's honestly unbelievable you know if you you sit there and you try to tell like a skeptic about it and you you can't 
describe the feeling because it's just so many emotions going on. And hell, just a couple years ago, you know, they found human remains down in the basement, you know, that were later identified to be, you know, children's remains of some missing kids some years back. And it's, it's one of those things like you just walk in and it's just like, this is not a good place. <laughs> it's right. Even if, even if you don't believe in ghosts, you definitely should be able to believe in energy. Any scientist, you know, will say energy because they say energy can't be created or destroyed. So exactly. It, go. it stays and absorbs into a negative energy, you know, well, when skeptics talk about the science factor of it, they forget that little detail right there. Conveniently yes. enough, you know, because <laughs> that's I, what I try to remember. Because I think it, I think it's always healthy to have a little skepticism. Hopefully, oh, you have to, yeah, you have told, to. obviously, because you if you bet on some of these, you know, that there's some crazy people on ghost hunts. I think they're doing some acid or something. Yeah, that's you never know these days, man. So you've worked with quite a few uh, different people in the TV and the, the writing genre. Um, can you tell us about some of your experiences with them and, you know, whether good or bad? Obviously, you can leave names out if it's bad, but... Um, Most of the people good. Again, you're right. I can't necessarily mention the names, but some of them, one of them was on a popular sci-fi show and just one of the nicest guys you ever meet and, <laughs> and per, you know, just perfect to work with and his partner who they've done a lot of other work out, out there together. Oh man, they were amazing. There's, there's been some negative too. Some, sometimes actresses that, and, and I think some of the worst actresses are those that don't even have their name out there yet. There's, and they're acting like a diva and throwing fits on the set. That was probably for me the worst thing because it's like, okay, we're, we're trying to provide an opportunity for you, but if you do this, the audience is going to hate you, and they're going to report it, and, you know, everyone's going to be like, if you watch this show, yeah, Kevin's cool, and Eric's cool, but this other person, you don't want to meet them. So, you know, you got to be so careful, just ourselves, we have to be careful how we present ourselves. You go to my Facebook page, for instance, I'm very careful. I don't talk about politics or religion or anything controversial. Mm-hmm. I'm very careful what I talk about because you can alienate your audience. Yes, yes. Um, I have fans that are probably going to be liberal, conservative, uh, smart, way outside of both fields. And I don't want to do anything to possibly alienate my base. You know, it's, if I were running for office, that would be a whole different ballgame, but I'm not. But yeah, most of the people I've met so far have been good, but there's going to be some bad experiences as well, so I just I get ready for that. Yeah, it was funny when me and you were uh, messaging back and forth one night, and you're like, you know, so-and-so, don't ever work with that guy. He's a total douchebag, and it's like, I kind of yeah. saw that, you know, but it's nice to actually have it confirmed, because it's like, yeah, he kind of seems like a douchebag on TV, I can definitely imagine he is in real life as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the majority, I would say the majority, in, especially in the type of stuff you and I do, are decent people because they they do like their fans and they do want to build their brand and their base. You know, it's important to them. Because I read somewhere, and this is completely off just what we're doing, but The Rock, I guess when he was started out, he was very uh, standoffish and just wanted to be left alone. His wife, I guess, mentioned to him, you know, you've got to be friendly or you're not going to have any fans and no one's going to go to your movies. So I guess he started becoming very outgoing to his fans and very, very cool to them and, you know, snapped for pictures of everyone and shook their hands. And, and now everybody loves The Rock. Those movies do ridiculously well. But he's on a big scene. So when you're in a smaller one like, you know, 
cable television, you need to definitely look out for your fans. Or as a writer, you know, if someone wants to, to meet me, I'm, I'm, first of all, if they want my autograph, I wonder what's wrong with them. But if they do, of course I'm going to sign for them. You know, I'm going to do whatever they want within reason. I'm not going to their basement or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know. Well, your fans, yeah, that basement's probably not a good idea with most of your fan base, man. No, with my fan base, I'm probably stuck in the crossbows. Are you kidding? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, just kidding, folks. I love you. I love you all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was. Yeah. It's a lot of my listeners are different than others, and you know, I'm sure yours, your, your, uh, you know, fans are the same way too. It's it's pretty healthy mixture. It's really interesting for me personally. I know mine are a fifty fifty mix of you know unsolved true crime. And then half, the other half are, are in it for the paranormal, uh, unsolved paranormal cases that I that I try to either debunk or prove. But you know, did and those uh, are the those are the most fun people. Let's be honest. I mean, I joke about stuff, but I'm also joking about myself because I think it's good to have a healthy sense of humor about yourself. But we are an unusual group of people, a motley crew that comes together, and really, I think we enjoy each other. You know, there's, it takes. I don't want to say crazy because. People take it the wrong way, but I think we all have to be a little crazy, you know. Oh, yeah. And we're drawn, and those of us who, I'll, I'll use it this way, uh, unusual, are drawn together. My friend, you met some of my friends back home. Yeah. Uh, they're an unusual group of people, but they're a lot of fun, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Normal oh, yeah. to me, it's boring. I agree. Um, when I'm getting together with people, I want to have an interesting night, not a normal night. Yeah. So what, uh, what'd you do for Halloween? Did you do anything fun for Halloween or just go to some, uh, some parties and stuff? Or? No, I went to Rocky Horror, of course, because you know, you gotta go to Rocky Horror unless there's something wrong with you. But there's not the same, um, amount of attractions and stuff down here as there is up in Indiana. You really? Know, in Indiana, I had great parties, uh, bonfires, went to the haunted houses like in Green Center or Huntington or, uh, Fort Wayne or whatever. There was a lot more to do. Down here, unfortunately, we're about an hour from Orlando, so everything revolves around Universal Studios Halloween, which is basically just an overpriced uh, attraction for Halloween. No offense, Universal. You've done some great movies, but your Halloween horror nights just aren't all that. Yeah. I <laughs> so I just dressed up like a clown and scared my cats. <laughs> yeah, it is. I will admit up here, we do have a lot of stuff around. I mean, when I was growing up, it was always, you know, Hand Road out in Huntertown and uh, Devil's Hollow and, and all that good stuff. And, of course, in Kindervilles, you got Spook Hill, which, historically speaking, it's a really cool little cemetery, but... It's more of going out there and scaring the fuck out of yourself. And you don't have to show me when I'm up next because I've heard of it, but I I haven't been yet. Oh, yeah. The other one I missed was the. I guess they're tearing down the old S Bridge, which. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. I uh, I've got my own uh, stories that I probably shouldn't share uh, anywhere on that, but let's just say it's a great place to take a friend. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I mean, a lot of me and my buddies spent time out there dangling off the end of the. You know, sitting off the end of the railroad bridge, and it's a shame. It's it's when when news came out they were tearing it down. We were actually all pretty disappointed. It's like, man, that bridge is like so many memories for so many people for for a long time. You know, it's that's what you hate to see. There's and there's a there's always been a tendency to tear down what's old and build something new. And the old is beautiful and had character, and the new was boring. Um, 
like well, you and I both grew up. We grew up. I remember you grew up originally on a farm as well. Yeah. And those houses are old and they have character. When you go into Fort Wayne, they have all these new houses that are built, and they're kind of they all look the same. You go yeah. inside, they all have the same floor plan. They all look the same outside. It's just uh, I don't know. Just, I think that can be the quickest way to kill creativity. You know, it's maybe that's what they're trying to do. I don't know. <laughs> it's the it's the suburban death trap, dude. Pretty much how it is, and I'm not it's a big not fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I just recently moved into Fort Wayne in the city. I live on the north end. So many people. Everybody's just hustle and bustle, and I mean, we got a. It's a nice area of the city. I'm not gonna lie; it's one of the best. But still, it's just like everything's the same. It's all you know, keeping up with Joneses and and all that yes. shit. And it's it's like where me and you grew up. That's not what it was about. Like literally, you had to find your own ways to keep yourself occupied and. You know, but I think that's helped us get where we're at in, this, in our careers now. I mean, it lets your imagination run wild, and and of course, it would take some dark turns. But I mean, for the podcast you're doing and the writing I'm doing, it was perfect for that. I mean, where else can you be inspired like like we were? Oh, that's true. And I I can remember. I mean, I lived by right right by a cornfield, so it was you know the first time I saw Children of the Corn, dude. I mean, that fucked me up. You know, I was like, man, there's kids out there. Like, <laughs> oh, you, you were one of the children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I would have joined them if, if if it came down to that, Kevin. <laughs> Been like, okay, yeah, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with you guys. You guys seem pretty awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly how it is, though. Like, we didn't have city things to keep ourselves occupied we couldn't walk anywhere i mean if you you know i if i wanted to go anywhere i'd walk you know a couple miles down the road to, to my buddy's house and that was only because i was lucky enough to have a friend who lived that close but it's like you know my friends didn't yeah i know what you're saying it was far away to do anything you get on a bicycle i guess or then we got a moped which is yeah Oh, yeah. I'll that you're just for people that, uh, well, I won't get into it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do know but, what you're talking about. Uh, but when you were a kid at school, and that was just to go into a bill or whatever, but yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, yeah. um, you've got the, you've got the things that I think really encourage creativity, like growing up in the country and, and using your imagination or with stifle it, such as being, it's, and those of you who like some it's not a, a personal attack, it's just it can stifle creativity because everyone is trying to be like everyone else. She said, keep it up with the chances. Yeah. And it, it, that stifles creativity, I believe. Yeah. And you're, you're so worried. There's, there's so many people and so many judging eyes that you're worried about. Too many people worry about what other people think and they yes. end up losing themselves in the process. And I guess that's one of the things I, I think I'm probably most thankful for. So the way I was brought up, but the, you know, where I lived, the creativity factor, the imagination factor. And I mean, obviously, you know, my, my mom and she always encouraged, you know, being an individual and, you know, kind of carving your own path. And, you know, there's a lot of siblings in my family and some of us, it took a little longer and went a little bit different routes than the others. And that would be me. Everybody else pretty much went the straight route, but. 
You see, the, the thing, when you talk about family, it was also a big encourager. As you say, my mom is very creative and she always encouraged me the same way. But going further back, could also inspire me because, you know, both of us had grandmothers from France. And while yours didn't share as much about her, mine did. So he had stories about, you know, running from Nazis, climbing over barbed wire fences. Yeah. Uh, and things of that nature, as well as some just the weird stories of some of our family over there. It was just yes. like our great, uh, it was a great, great grandfather who allegedly could levitate people. So just all types of, uh, unusual stories that were stuck with me as well. Um, I guess the great great grandfather would threaten. I, I still sleep with a sheet over my feet because he would threaten to grab anybody's feet that were covered at night. So I remember that story. My feet to this day are still covered because of that story. So. Same here. Um, and and that's really cool that because I know me and you haven't talked too extensively about, um, you know, our, our older members of the family from France. But I pretty much what it broke down to was after World War Two, two sisters left and came to America and the third one stayed and our grandmas were the ones that came over, but I do remember uh, May May, which is what we always had to had to refer to her as. We couldn't call her grandma, but she uh, she told me stories about that. She said he was uh, pretty much an herbalist and was kind of regarded, I guess you could say, as a witch doctor. And according to her, a lot of people in the town she said it was really odd because a lot of the people in the town would you know he was alienated he was an outcast people wouldn't talk to him but at the same time when they were sick you can bet your ass he was the first one that they were going to to try to to get you know the herbal remedies and the you know the the health health side of it i guess you could say for or so you could read your eyes to see what was what was wrong yes. with you, and, and could find it from that. And, and from what I even understand too, there's even some royalty from I think Belgium that would visit him yes. as well. So. Yes, I did hear that as well. And I've I've tried so hard to research into him a lot more, but you know I don't speak French, and they're not translating those kind of records into English anytime soon. You know, and that's that's on very limited information that I do have, which is because I would love to, to I would honestly love to do an episode on him. But uh, oh, yeah, that would be fascinating because he did, he was, I guess he had uh, been pronounced dead and raised from his deathbed. You know, he, they had pronounced him dead. And I guess a few hours later, he just got off that deathbed and scared everyone. <laughs> so, yeah. All the stories. Are, yeah, he's a fascinating man. And. That's again. That might be where we get some of our interest. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have an un, unhealthy interest in the occult. Not not getting into too many specifics of of what I believe and what I don't believe, but I'm very very vast and unique and unhealthy obsession with the occult. And it's it's weird because you know I didn't find out about him until after after that. And when I found out, I was like, you know, that's that's really fucking awesome that it's, you know, in the bloodline, I guess you could say. And it's just it's I don't know. It's just intriguing to me, I suppose. The good thing about if you're doing your research now, 
things that can work in your favor that put in that is you've got things like Google Translate, so you can yes. put, you know, copy out a line, pop into there and translate to see, and then you can, you know, do your own, um, write the words that you want, you know, as your search tool yes. in there and, and, and put it, you know what I'm saying? Having yeah. it, things like translate now can be very helpful. They can. I grew up taking French, but if you don't use it, you lose it. So I lost much, much of my French and I need to, you know, reimmerse myself into it, but it would be helpful. Yeah. And our, our grandma tried, you know, she started off teaching us, you know, nursery rhymes or, or songs in French and stuff like that. And, you know, it's there were some good stories. One, I remember the one song they would sing about the wolf eating a child. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. And uh, there's, um, I can't remember the, uh, the name of that incident, but I, I do want to do a future episode on that actually. Cause it's a, it's a pretty intriguing story. And, and our grandmothers didn't come from, you know, I mean, they came from a fairly good sized port city, but, you know, it's not like they were from like, you know, Paris, France or, you know, Paris or anything like that. But, but yeah, some of the, some of the stories are, are pretty fascinating. And, and we actually have, uh, another relative who's on a postage stamp in France. Um, NTN. The Explorer. Yeah. NTN Poe. Yeah. They, I used them as a basis of a, a novel I wrote. I, I used the idea of the, the Explorer, but I took the idea of him as a pre-Columbian Explorer and running into a lot of supernatural elements while exploring the new world. Uh, because I was fascinated by this man. I'm like, well, let's take someone like him and put him before the time of Columbus uh, coming to the new world. So, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I had known about him, but I didn't know to the extent until some family members sent postage stamps with his fucking picture on it. And they're like, hey, you know, he's legitimately, you know, a historical figure now. And what it is, is he pretty much pioneered underwater photography um, over in France. And this was way back um, I believe in the late 1800s, yeah. And I think he had done some exploring on the sub, you know, the the uh, sub Antarctic islands, the, you know, the yeah. the French islands there, which are all obviously uninhabited. Yeah, it was very intriguing, and I've actually uh, I've I've searched enough to where I've seen some of his um, photographs, and it's really fucking cool. It's for for old photography like that to be underwater for one of the very first underwater photographers. I mean, it was, it was super cool to see some of those pictures and pictures of him and, and all that stuff. And uh, some of his ship logs, I found some of the uh, ships that he was on as well. But yeah, so I guess we kind of like went off there on a tangent with some family history there, but, um, it shows we get inspired, you know, I think that really shows how you and I have come to, parts in life where we are now you know the stories we've got about these people helped i think in a way lead us on our own journeys i agree i agree that's very well said you said you have thought about uh making the jump into true crime can you tell us a little bit about that with your writing i would have to find the right story but it 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 makes sense i okay here's the other thing i taught law for eight years in teaching law I also, on many occasions, would teach some criminal justice classes. 
So it only makes sense to to try dabbling in something that effect because a lot of a lot of my fans would have an interest in that. Now we've we've been to places where true crime occurred. I mean, uh, I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about Lizzie Borden on the show, and we spent time at the Lizzie Borden house and you know studying what happened there. So it only makes sense to try dabbling into something something new. We're looking at some certain cases. Um, the big case was out of Kentucky, and it was Rob, Rob Farrell, the vampire killer. Yeah. And my co-author of that would be Eric Werner, um, and he's a very popular uh, occult researcher. And he's going to be looking at the vampire aspect of the crime, and I'm looking at the, at the legal aspect of the crime. Now, of course, nothing he did there was legal, but what we're going to be doing in some of the cases is looking at some of the First Amendment issues as well on other cases. For instance, now, this probably won't be in the book, but in First Amendment, you have both the Free Exercise Clause and the Establishment Clause. The Establishment Clause, basically, you know, you can't have a state religion. You can't have the uh, Church of the United States uh, and such. And the second part is giving people the right to believe in what they want to believe. So on that, you know, we talk about some of these cults, you might be able to personally believe in virgin blood or whatever, but you can't actually go through with it. And plus, fighting virgin anymore. It's <laughs> fucking <story>. impossible. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is people have a right to believe what they want, but they can't necessarily practice what they believe. So if they want to, you know, whatever you want to believe is, is your, is your right. But, Practice is another story. We could go to something simple like polygamy. You might think that it's perfectly acceptable to have multiple wives, but with the exception of living in a few counties of Utah or Arizona, you're not going to be able to practice polygamy at the U.S. Constitution unless they strike down, you know, strike down the statutes that are already in place. So looking at some of this, we're looking at some people who had some occult beliefs and we're looking at the cases themselves and I'm looking at and other elements that are attached legally. So it's basically trying to put the case out there on two different sides, you know, the uh, the belief side and and such. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But yeah, yeah. We're starting with Rod Farrell, and we're probably going to do the West Memphis Three, yeah, and a couple others, and looking at elements of the case, breaking down the case itself. Because uh, my co-writer, he wanted someone with a legal background, and it'll be you know tear the elements apart and such. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and West Memphis Three is is honestly probably the ideal case for that there's so much going on there with with the crime itself and with the legal aspect of you know what ended up happening with those three uh young fellows and i mean personally i have my opinion i don't want to say for a hundred percent that they're that they're innocent but i don't think there's certain avenues that were explored to the extent that they should have been, I guess you could say, and then other people involved, I guess. There's there's a tendency when someone is different to initially accuse. I mean, we're just going back to our great-great-grandfather. You know, I'm sure if something happened in town, he might have been one of the first people they would have, you know, pointed the finger at. So when you're different, um, people like to point the finger. Yeah. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And this is right in, right in the middle of the satanic panic. And I'm actually doing a disappearance right now from 1988 that, uh, you know, might have some of those 
some of those same, I don't want to say qualities, but some of those same tendencies when it came to suspects and, and people involved, even the police. And you, you, that's what we're trying to do. The, the Farrell was another one, though, because this was a, a guy who, who believed, he, I guess he still believes he's a fire. He does. And, yeah. and, you know, it's that's when uh, you're, uh, how do you put it? I guess it was from Vampire the Masquerade, if I remember right, playing that. You just got to realize there's a reality and there's a... Uh, like fantasy, and you've got to be willing to separate the two. You have to realize that when your game is over, your game is over. You know, you can't continue. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't know how to separate fantasy from reality. Yeah, that is that is very very good point right there. It's you know sometimes that's that's some muddy waters for people, and they can't differentiate you know between the the fantasy and the reality of it. Uh, some of your upcoming upcoming books. What do you got? What do you got in the works, Kevin? Oh my gosh, I've got so many. <laughs> <laughs> There's different stuff that's out with the editors right now. I basically got a, uh, a novel that I I basically say it's Red Dawn with zombies. Basically, the kids come away when they come back. The tales about run by zombies rather than by communists. So <laughs> you know, just back to our old '80s movies. You know, because you're inspired by anything and everything. I've got one a collection of horror stories uh, dealing with sports called Soccer Hooligans for Zombies. One that's called uh, Sharon's Steamship, which is stories that are dealing with the horror and water, waterways like, you know, oceans, lakes, yeah. whatever. I just, I come up with a theme many times and I write a book around it. I've got my seek, my follow up to True uh, Legends I'm working on right now, which would be more vampire stories. I, I do novels and short story collections, both, you know, short stories are because Stephen King does a lot of them too. It's probably a horror up people can relate to when I talk about it, and so did Edgar Allan Poe. And, of course, I'm the Edgar Allan Poe with less talent and more disturbing, so yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the, so I, I come up with an idea and a theme, and I write a book around that many times. I've got uh, a lot of collections coming out, so I've probably got about five or six books that are at the editors right now. I'm also doing another book where we're going to be looking at the non-traditional backgrounds of Christmas called Have Yourself a Merry Little Krampus. We're going to deal with, you know, Krampus and Krampus Knock, where we're also going to look at, like, some of the pagan origins of Christmas that were absorbed into uh, yes. the early Catholic Church. Yes. You know, the Christmas tree, the holy mistletoe, and where it comes from. And so there's a lot of projects we're working on. And the other is called Restless Spirits, where we're going to be looking I told you about Eerie America, where we want to be unusually themed or haunted or anything else on travel. I'm doing the same thing with wineries, breweries, distilleries, and bars. So it's going to be called Restless Spirits, and we're close to being finished with uh, the initial drafts on that as well. Very, very cool. Very cool. And your well, current... it's going to be a big hit, I think, with the ladies. And I love—I don't know about you—I love going to wineries and breweries. Oh, I, I, I love still it. had yet. To you go to distilleries. I want to see a distillery. I just haven't had the opportunity. And But in Indiana, for instance, I've been over 30 wineries in Indiana, probably 10 or 15 in Michigan, and a bunch more throughout the rest of the country. So they're great places to just hang out and spend a day. Oh, definitely. I I took a, a weekend trip down to Lexington, Kentucky, not too long ago, and went down to Castle Hill Winery down there. And it was literally me and the owner of the winery who sat there and drank wine and talked about everything under the sun for, for about three hours, which was personally, I preferred it that way. <laughs> it was just yeah. 
just me and him, man, just sitting there pounding some wine. And I, I don't know. I'm a wino. I love. I mean, I make make my own wine as well. So it was it was kind of cool talking to him about recipes and stuff like that, and different uh, techniques. And that uh, I want to do. I've made my own beer, but I've never made my own wine. It's something I definitely like to try. Oh, uh, dude! Anytime you uh, you want some recipes, man, let me know. It's it's definitely. Uh, a skill that that takes a little time to hone in and it's a learning experience but um i was lucky enough to get it get it right the first few times and and kind of spawn from there and it's just fun and it's easy i mean you mix a bunch of shit up and put it in a in a dark 70 or 65 degree room for a few months and when you screw up like when i put a beer once i put too much of uh oh, i forgot what it was I think I put the wrong yeast in on one of them, and it exploded into this giant green monster that just took over, and uh, oh, it was horrible. <laughs> but then sometimes you get it right. Like I think it was like a, either a stout or a porter that had a chocolate coffee flavor. Oh shit! But then I did a, a Canadian beer where I put maple syrup, and it tasted horrible. So I gave it all to an ex girlfriend, and she broke up. Hey, you want some beer? <laughs> yeah, take this beer with you. <laughs> so you, you you never know. You you can go right and wrong, but I think it's a perfect um, idea for a book. I think uh, a lot of people are going to like it because craft breweries and craft just, uh, wineries are popping up all over. I mean, even yeah. just since I come up last, you know, since I've come up last, there's a lot just in the area where I grew up coming out of nowhere. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a popular destination for people now. There's definitely uh, money in that. Yeah, and it's, I was surprised when uh, a tiny little town next to where we grew up, uh, Layato, Indiana came, you know, they came out with a, with a brewery there. And I mean, yes. there's, there's not I'm even, there's not even a stoplight in this town. It's literally a four way stop, a bar and like five churches. That's it. <laughs> and, yeah. and they popped up this brewery and I'll be honest, man, I have not heard anything bad about it so far, which is just simply kick ass because it, it was preceded by, um, the, uh, country Heritage Winery, which is doing phenomenal right now. Yeah, yeah. Places seems to keep growing, and the lines are always getting bigger and the longer whenever you go there. So oh, it's God. great to see. Yeah, but it's a perfect place, I think, for for such, especially for wineries. I mean, that area it's, it's it seems like a perfect area to have a winery. So yeah. I'm surprised it hadn't happened sooner. Yeah, um, they probably you know probably lack some of the laws to make it easier, is my guess. Oh, I'm sure. Guess, you know. Yeah, we used to have Indiana has the stupidest liquor law in the country. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I like today's Sunday. Like I yeah. did not buy beer yesterday because in the state of Indiana, you cannot buy beer on Sunday unless it's from a tap or a bar. Yeah, yeah it's, so. it's stupid. I mean, uh, and there's no reason. I, I still think, and I could be wrong. My my thought was always it probably went back to anti-Catholicism and anti-Judaism in the early, you know, at that time of the, uh, the state, you know, and, and many of us that were Catholic and Jewish were different groups. You know, we came over from overseas where a, a bottle of wine might have been a, a pop, you know, more than a bottle of wine would be popular at a Sunday dinner or whatever. Oh, so yeah. let's prevent these outcasts from buying. That's that's always been my thought. <laughs> It's dude, you're probably not probably that far off. Prejudicial behind it. Yeah, and I I can honestly say I'm glad I live, you know, forty five minutes, half an hour away from uh Ohio. I just Ohio. jumped a line and go by here. <laughs> in all honesty though, our state loses about twenty million dollars in taxes a year by not selling booze on Sunday. 
And, and it comes up every year, and they still keep voting against it. It's like, for fuck's there's, sake. There's some lobby that I don't understand. But you also can't, what is, you can't buy cold pop or cold milk at a, at a what do you call it, a liquor store, something live like that, too. There's, oh, there's yeah. some other rules to go on with it. There's just all types of crazy sub-rules behind yeah, the main rule. Crazy. I mean, you can, you can go to Ohio. I can buy cold beer in a damn gas station. And I mean, we yeah. can buy gas stations or buy beer at gas stations in Indiana, but it's warm. It's illegal yeah. to be cold, so it's like it deters from the drinking and driving. It's like now it really doesn't. It just gets into your blood faster, and you just appreciate the next cold beer that much more. Is what it is. It's like well, it brings them to Ohio, and then they might. It's just going to cause other problems, as you said. They might end up drinking from Ohio and driving from Ohio. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. And then, then you have, God forbid, you get pulled over and get a bootlegging charge, because that's a real thing, too, still. Just fucking insane, but... Yeah. There's, there's a lot of silly laws on the book now. That's that's another story for another day, too. If you look at some of the laws that are still on state's books, you'd be surprised. But it's something that's arcane, and it's time has come to, to uh, be... Removed, you know, revoked. There's no reason for such rules. Yes, I definitely agree. So, um, what else does the future hold for Kevin? And what, I guess, two part question. Um, if you had to refer people to two books that you have written that you think they would like and that you would personally think are your best, can you refer those books? And then, um, can you give us, uh, maybe a little bit of description on what they're about? Yes. Okay. So I'll start with that second question. If I were to do uh, refer two of my books to start, the first would be Fountain of Blood from Dark Moon Press, and the second would be True Legends from Dark Moon Press. Uh, Fountain of Blood is basically what I did in this book was I took our old favorite horror characters, horror icons like a werewolf, a vampire, a mummy, a giant cricket, you know, because you had giant monster movies, and I... I changed them into with modern sensibilities. So I've got the story of a, a mummy that's been raised in Chicago trying to hitch a ride to Memphis because Memphis was an, you know, and of course we got Memphis in the U.S., but it was also an ancient city of, of the old Egyptian dynasty. So I'm basically taking my old, our classic horror icons with modern sensibilities. And True Legends is a vampire collection, and it's just uh, very sultry, uh, very sexy, and very stimulating. And I think that all my readers would definitely enjoy those too. Unless they want to read a nonfiction, you know, you, you mentioned my two best, but there's also the Eerie American Paranormal Road Trip for those who would rather be nonfiction versus fiction. As far as what the future holds, well... Hopefully, getting on the floor soon, uh, <laughs> uh, where I can be inspired again, because it's too hot here. Way too hot. I'm hoping to, you know, return in the academia as well, along with uh, continuing producing. We're hoping to get the movie. The goal right now is to have it filmed in November. So it's basically moving forward with the investors, and we've got two ideas for a lower budget versus a higher budget. We're also going to be moving forward with other movie projects and television projects. And I'm just going to keep writing like crazy because as long as people don't buy my books, I'm kidding. As long as they buy my books, I'll keep writing. Uh, some of them sit there and, and have less, you know, are bought less than others. Some are very popular. Some are, you know, less popular, but I'm just going to keep writing. I suppose my next question would be if there was one place that 
you would want to do a paranormal investigation at that you think would have the most activity from the research that you've done and the, and the genre that you're in and the people that you know, what place would that be? Waverly Hills, no doubt. Just because of the history of the place and the people I've uh, worked with over the years. Um, I don't know if you guys know the Booth brothers or Chris Booth, but you know I've had a chance to talk with him many times. A really nice guy, great guy, and they did a, a couple things. Uh, a movie and a documentary at Waverly Hills. Most stories he told me, yeah, it's definitely the place I want to go. That sounds good, Kevin. Uh, is there anything you want to close this interview off? I mean, obviously, I'm going to post uh, links to um, your books in the show notes so everybody can check those out and uh, maybe order some if they if they see something that sparks their interest. Which, in in my genre and my listener base, I'm pretty sure they'll there'll be some people who are definitely interested. Um, is there anything you would like to close out the interview with? Yes. Of course, single attractive ladies. I am single, so definitely hit me up. And uh, actually, the voting for the best parent author, Justin has a link on his Facebook page. Uh, please vote for me every day. You can vote once a day. Yeah. I'll get your friends to vote. Definitely would like to close the gap between me and uh, the first play person. I wasn't first play for a while, and I kept yeah. going back and forth and back and forth. So it is. It's still really tight. Great. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll bump that post again. So. Uh, so, Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'll uh, I'll mention something in the comments, everybody. You know, we have until December eighteenth to vote, so so we'll be sure to we'll be sure to get you that award best we can. Alrighty, I appreciate it. Man. All right, no problem, Kevin. Um, I, obviously, uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch, like always. And thank you for uh, for coming on and and doing this interview and sharing sharing some stories and telling us about your books, man. All right, look forward to seeing you on my next trip up. And, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, you too, man. All right. Bye. All right, bye.